and welcome back to the ETPHD team podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded a podcast and the reason for that was that over the last few weeks there have been a lot of things going on with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and we thought actually we'd rather people use their time listening to podcasts to educate themselves on what we feel has actually been far more important. So we've taken a couple of weeks out. However, We are back with a special episode today, and I say we, I'm only here for the introduction, because today you have a talk from COVID-19, so you may remember a couple of months ago, COVID-19 took place online, it was an online fitness conference, where myself and Louis both spoke, and I have shared some of these talks already, and today's talk is featuring the one and only Louis, who specialises in compassionate weight management. And so this talk is on sustainable weight loss strategies that support a healthy body and mind. And although I am, of course, a little bit biased, Louis absolutely smashed this discussion. So it's well worth a listen. It's a two hour long one, so you might want to split it up or you might even want to speed us up a little bit. Completely fine, no offence taken. Also on this talk, you have Simon Mitchell. So he is the guy who put together CoFit so, so impeccably. You have uh, Ross Gilmore, Johnny Landles and Christy. So I hope you enjoy it. If you are, if you want to learn more, then get in touch with Louis or myself and yeah, hopefully you can take something away. We've got Louis. There's Louis, Louis' face. Look at Louis. Look how Good morning, Louis. he is. Oh, there we go. And we've got there we go. We've got Ross. Ross coming in as well. There we go. Happy days. And we have got Helen's been here since 8 a.m. Helen, you are awesome. Oh um, Helen. <laughs> Lynn's 16 was a six stone. Jen's been here for one and a half talks. Joseph's been here since eight. Natalie's given me a, there we go, look, I can do that. It's amazing. Natalie can give me double thumbs, double biceps. Johnny's here. There we go. That's who we were waiting for. Um, he's uh, I've always wondered, Johnny, is 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 the uh, wall behind, is that wallpaper or is that actual brick? Ooh, I was tempted to lie, but it's, it's wallpaper. <laughs> it's wallpaper, unfortunately. Just sport the dream. I know. How cool would it be if I was in some kind of conversion with real brick, eh? Yeah. There <laughs> we go. So Jack's been here since Mike was talking about biscuits. If you missed the biscuit chat, then <laughs> you have missed out. Mike gave his very, very specific critique on what are the best biscuits. And I showed my newfound biscuit knowledge by saying that biscuit is defined by something that has been baked twice which apparently is true so there you go i didn't know that there you go right okay right so um we are talking about we're gonna well we'll we'll leave it three minutes we won't start early because i'm sure someone will shout at me for starting early (laughs) oh but it's two minutes too um cut oh there we go this is this is how we're going to occupy our time um so right now, <laughs> right now mike's asked a very key question and i need to go for a pee right. and you three are going to answer this question so go 
Johnny Who wants to kick off. All oh, right, Johnny, me. Johnny first. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's got to be the custard cream. Is that all you're offering? Nothing else. That's all I'm offering. That's all I'm offering. <laughs> I'm just dropping the mic and then letting it explode. Ross. Do you know what? I might be a little bit controversial here. I'm not much of a biscuit person. Oh, get out. However, oh, uh, oh. It's a however, if I were to say, be a caramel digestive, probably. Yes. It's the, most it's the only, only comparison I've got. No custom, so it's not a bad yeah. choice. It's a solid answer. There you mm. go. The Tunnock's caramel wafer has just been commented in. I'm, do, you, do you know what I mean? I don't. Is that even a biscuit? It's, it's yeah. a wafer, isn't it? Oh, I've had a conversation before with people, and people think wafers are biscuits, and they're just wrong. No, they're not. Tim Tam, that's a solid shout. We're not in yeah. Australia, so we don't have direct contact. But they are great. Mm. They nearly nearly ruined my uh, Australian trip, did the Tim Tam. I think I got uh, bankrupt just supporting their <laughs> business. Nice. Uh, someone's asked about Chris. Huh? Did you bought shares in Tim Tam? You'd have been jealous. I, I did. Yeah. While I was out there, I tried to tried to get shares in them, but <laughs> it wasn't available. What were you? Say your biscuit. Uh, so here's a bit of a sympathy story. I'm a celiac, so like biscuits are terrible. Like oh, regardless, me. yeah. So um, and they're just extortionate as well. So I don't really have biscuits. Uh, but it probably would be like a chocolate digestive, custard cream bourbons, quite good. Um, they're good for dipping, and I want a good dipping one for a cup of tea if I ever have a cup of tea, but I don't really have them that often. But yeah, um, more of a cookie fan than anything. Good mm. cookie. Double chocolate chip. Do you like a cookie? Cook- cookies are great there are some bakeries now that are doing like collaborations so they'll do a brownie and a cookie combined and call it a brookie uh yeah or there's one place we go to in leeds which does cruffins which are croissant muffins they are great that that sounds intense can we get michael banner out of the group because he said something about bourbons and bourbons they need to go i've never been a bourbon fan Really? <laughs> yeah, they're the they're the they're the they're the antichrist to the custard cream. You see, uh, what about Jamie so, Dodger? Mm, overrated, in my opinion. I, I I don't value your opinion, Johnny. So, <laughs> <laughs> what what <laughs> what <laughs> hobnobs are marine things? Says Jack. Mike, yeah. Don't come, don't come at me with your PhD, Mike, or your MD, whichever one you have. <laughs> uh, someone's, asked, someone's asked where Christy is Christy is trying to get herself into the group but apparently needs to be uh, accepted by Simon and she agrees yeah, with me though Cust- custard creams I have the proof ah, Christy, Christy says custard creams oh. there you go ah, there we are uh, there we go my, my fellow custard Can cream advocate <laughs> <laughs> yeah because the cream's all the way exactly it's a solid choice it's a solid choice <laughs> What about Jaffa cakes? Ah, I was about to ask that. It's a cake. It's not a biscuit. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm. It's in the name. But, but it's consumed in the same environment. So yeah, but Louis, Louis, you're a celiac. You actually can't. You you don't have. Yeah, can't come in and can't come in on food anymore. I've lost that right. <laughs> I'm joining the standing desk crew. Bear with me. Um, 
I would stand, but I haven't got anything to put it on. So, like, you'd just be looking at my crotch, and I don't want anybody to have that. That's that's the 10 p.m. show, Lou. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If you could see my setup, I've got a laptop on a stack of books right now. So, mine's on a candle. Could go a huge <laughs> right. It's not lit. Not lit, just in case. <laughs> so, I heard lots of discussions about biscuits. I thought Mike was going to have kittens while watching this while you were saying the uh, hobnobs and all this. I'm sure he is spitting feathers right now. Well, he uh, says he says Krispy Kremes are better than custard creams. I mean, that's that's just not that's not a fair contest. That's a donut. Yeah. Compared. Let's not get into donuts, Mike. I think that sums up his opinion right there. This is the first contest. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so uh, pee break done, and we're ready to start. So, welcome, one and all. Welcome, coaches, Louis, Ross, Johnny, and Christy. Welcome to CoFit. Ross has been here before. The other three. This is your first one. This is your first talk. We also have 177 people coming to join us live, which is amazing. Now, right now, I'll do a little bit of a, a thing for everybody who's watching this right now, is we've got a bunch of questions that have been submitted beforehand, but you can also ask questions live. So this talk is all about weight loss strategies to support a healthy body and mind. If you are trying to achieve a weight loss goal right now and you have a specific question, then drop it into the comment box uh, below. If you want your name to appear on screen, then just above the live video, there is a button or a link you can click, and that will allow Facebook to see your name, and it will come through onto the live stream and the live feed right here, which will be amazing. So feel free to ask questions as we go, but we are going to start with... Ross. So, Ross, what is the most common mistake people often make when it comes to trying to lose weight in a sustainable way? It's a brilliant question, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> so I think, um, first of all, my answer is probably not going to be exactly what people are going to expect right from the get-go. So people are probably thinking right now, oh, it's because I'm cheating on my diet. It's because I'm not in a calorie deficit. It's because X, Y, and Z. Um, very simply, the way I would explain it would be is that the number one mistake people make is not having a clarity of vision before they start the whole process. So what does that mean? Because what people think, what do you mean lack, lack of clarity of vision? So it's a bit more high level than what most people would expect. Um, I think for the most part, most people are not thinking long term enough. So a lot of people want those sustainable results, but they're often not willing to go the distance or plan things out for a long enough time period to actually see not only the initial benefits they want maybe in a short to medium term, but then understand like what is the full process or journey, like what's the exit strategy once I've been through that initial, say, fat loss, weight loss, whatever else, what happens next? And I think a lot of people are often missing that that next part. Because let's be honest, most of us know many clients are quite capable of losing weight, whether it be through scrupulous methods or not. But it's the thing that seems to be especially backed up by the research is that people are struggling to keep weight off when they lose it. And why is that? My belief is that it's just, first of all, most people don't start with why. They don't truly understand on a very, underneath all the superficial reasons, like, oh, I want to look good, I want to just, they don't really know deep, deep down what, why is it that I really, really, really want this? Um, and so I think with that then, people are often not taking the time to think, right, well, and, and listen, unless you hire a coach where 
they're going to help you do this. They're not mapping out like, okay, I need to look at, maybe look at it as like a calendar year. Over these many months, I'm going to be on a focused fat loss phase. Then I'm going to take a diet break. Then I'm going to look at reverse dieting up. I'm going for a second push. And then I'm going to reverse diet up. And then I'm going to spend X amount of time maintaining. And then I'm going to assess from there. So if you had to like kind of almost take out your calendar for the year, you almost have to look at that macro first and kind of almost reverse engineer back. Like, okay, what's the end point I ideally want to get to? Figure out how long roughly within a range that's going to take and then reverse engineer back all of the steps that it's going to require to, to get to that point. Um, and so then I think within all of that, the exit strategy, which I'm sure the rest of the guys will touch on as well. When people do do maybe the, the first part of the journey, if you look at the, the industry, a lot of body transformations are based on eight weeks, 12 weeks. And I can't speak for the other guys. I'm sure they'll chip in, but I can only speak for what we do at the, the Better Body Collective is we're, we don't put a time frame on a transformation. I think that, first of all, we can. There's no way we can possibly tell someone it's going to take exactly this long for you to get to an end result. So what people often end up doing is they set themselves up for failure from the start because they don't manage their own expectations from the get-go. So I think as coaches, you guys will agree, we need to be very, very crystal clear on what the expectations are, what the actions and expectancies from both sides are, and then being able to really set clear expectations on a macro level and obviously then, of course, on a phase-to-phase level because if expectations then are at least very clearly managed, it's going to be a lot less likely that people are going to get disappointed or frustrated along the way because it was very clear right from the start this is what it's going to take and this is how long, give or take, of a range it's going to take as well. So that would be my uh, number one mistake that people make is just not having a clear vision about what they want and how they're going to get about getting there. Mm. Yeah. Are we allowed to interject at this point? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I thought I was going to like lead in into something yeah. else. Yeah. Um, am I right? Um, I was just going to agree with what oh. Ross said and make a point about target weight. So, like, when you think about specific slimming groups, you go and you tell them what your target weight's going to be, and I think that's a common mistake because you're you make target weights for when people make them they're super motivated when they make them and they fully wholeheartedly believe that they're going to be on track for however many weeks that they're going to be on track for and they forget that life gets in the way things change i mean look at us now (laughs) um and then not getting to that target weight means that they disregard all of the progress that they've done before even if they've made progress Mm because we're so focused on that number. And like you say, I think focusing on what you want your life to look like at the end rather than what weight you want to look like at the end is a big, uh, is really important because otherwise you do end up feeling like a failure. And then I think those feelings of failure end up with people reverting to behaviours that they had before and therefore long-lasting weight loss doesn't occur because they're not in the mindset where they feel like they can win or where they feel like they've improved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Louis, anything to add? You're, I think you're kind of yeah. hanging. Um, so I've got a few things that I'd sort of like touch on around that. And it's sort of hard to pinpoint down to one because people are so complex. And it, I think the, the things that potentially let people down change over time as well. Um, we can see, people developing their education and sort of get fixated on certain aspects, but not on others. So one of the main things that I focus on with our clients is uh, Amelia Thompson. We always, uh, we focus on sort of improving people's bodies, uh, relationship with their bodies, 
relationship with food, relationships with others as well, which is really important. Um, but one of the main things that I like is having multiple measures of success. So instead of just relying on the weighing scales, we know that they aren't 100% uh, transparent or co coordinated with our effort. Um, and educating people on the pros and cons of each method and using multiple measures of like uh, clothes, of progress photos, of weight, of how they're feeling, how they're sleeping, what are their relationships like with other people. These are all things that are probably underlying some of the reasons that people want to change. Um, and alongside that, I'd probably put people chasing external, potential external validation and not doing it for themselves. Mm. The reason has to come from within. It has to come from a good place of self-compassion and self-love and wanting to change for a better version of you and being the best version you can. One of the things that I've posted about before is what happens if, if you do it for external validation, you get that change. People are like, oh, my God, that, that that's amazing. And then after a while, that becomes a new norm and those compliments fade. So what happens when the compliments fade? People haven't got that buzz, that reason to keep it there. But we want to sort of develop it in a place where they're feeling the best that they can, that they don't value their entire, they don't place all their value on their weight, but also how much of a good person they are, how much they uh, help other people, how much that they enjoy playing with their kids and how much they can move and value like their strength their cardiovascular health and all aspects of health as well um but yeah they're the main sort of things that i'd look at mm. awesome cool and then uh louis um in terms of like we're in a period of lockdown right now quarantine i imagine that there are a huge number of people that are coming into this process, having gone through a period of weight loss up until the point we all got quarantined. So have you got maybe some advice on that side of things, maybe what people should be doing if they had a weight loss goal coming into this? Should they still be trying to pursue that? Should they be modifying that? Should they be changing things to accommodate maybe slightly less activity? Any advice on health and weight loss in the context of our lockdown period? Um, it's there's more there's lots of layers to this question. So my first one was to look at sort of their use of the word health and like we want to look at all aspects of health, not just the physiological of reducing body fat levels, but potentially looking at psychological health is a massive issue at the moment with a lot of people and social well-being that they're isolated, they're not seeing their family, they're not seeing their loved ones, they can't even hug them when they do see them. So that's something that we've got to have a look at as well. But we can use this as an opportunity to potentially reevaluate what we uh, want to achieve. So I like to talk a lot to my clients about, um, and this is again from Amelia, is talking about um, goals and values. What, what do you value most in your life and where do your values lie? What goals do you want to achieve? And then making your lifestyle meet that. So creating that triangle in there. Um, we want to look at this this lockdown is indefinite really and there's going to be some form of social distancing or some 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 form of isolation for the next four months maybe potentially maybe even six months so we've got to embrace this change i think dr mike spoke about it a few days ago on instagram about um accepting the change will actually help with people adjusting and that's almost half the battle is embracing it rather than fighting it and blaming it for not reaching your success um we look at social well-being as well so making sure you've got a good support network in there there is some research to support that uh, positive interactions and it wasn't necessarily through 
technology and it was more actual person to person and having a close group of people is better for your subjective well-being so we want to encourage people to use this time to potentially reach out to people they haven't spoken to in a while potentially to um, find out new things that they've potentially wanted to try for a while so yoga seems very popular at the moment calisthenics seems really popular and it's almost taking that shift away from just pumping iron in the gym to people reevaluating, going well why do i want to why do i train why do i move what do i want to do so if we can look at aspects of that and reevaluate, but if people still want to achieve their weight loss goals um a lot of people i feel would have done it for potential dates so people have competing in shows people competing in competitions in general across all sports people have holidays and they've potentially gone so reevaluating what your reason why going into lockdown has that changed um if people are consistently wanting to or still wanting to achieve weight loss the energy balance is going to be shifted massively. A lot of people's activity would have dropped dramatically. Therefore, dieting, if you want to get significant results over the course of a long period of time, then your energy input is going to have to be that much lower to uh, put in um, to get those results. And now we're in a position where we're surrounded by food because we're in our homes, potentially, that um, we haven't got that social norm of I can't constantly keep going to the coffee shop, uh, the coffee room at, at work because that's not allowed or that, that wouldn't be acceptable. But now nobody's here to watch me. So potentially people are taking more visits to the kitchen. They might be working in the kitchen, which I probably wouldn't advise. I'd probably advise having separate workstations and eating areas and, and building a routine throughout your day, Johnny. Um, but, um, Having building a routine, so routines and rituals get results, as I would say, or I think I got that from Jamie Alton. Um, so building that and making sure you've got a structured day where you've got eating windows, where you've got snacking windows, where you're giving yourself still unconditional permission to eat because we don't want to set up food rules where I can't eat. It's I'm choosing not to eat and making sure you're using those words and making sure you're empowered by the decision rather than the decision owning you in that way that can lead to a messed up relationship with food down the line um so same sort of stuff we talk about in normal dieting of going for like high volume foods high satiety foods going for foods that are high in protein potentially and using lots more uh, low calorie liquids if you are drinking so making sure um you're filling your diet with lots of nutrients because obviously we want to promote health as much as we can and i think one of the positives out of this pandemic will be that people start to value their health a lot more and once they've built this lifestyle where they're potentially not working at the moment and they're going out for daily walks, they're spending more time with their children, I can see us going back into a very different society when, when we do go back to normal, of a lot more people prioritising their health and well-being and their social well-being a lot more over working themselves into the ground, which is what we tend to do in the UK. Um, sorry, I know I've spoken a lot. I'll only do a few more. Uh, I've got two more points. Um, so when you're eating, having sort of mindful meals and distraction meals, if you are eating by yourself, not having um concentrating on the food that you're eating enjoying spending time cooking if you're eating with people making them make sure you're seated make sure they're sociable and make sure you're eating slowly so you get all the textures and flavors and really experiencing the food instead of being distracted and sort of mindlessly eating um picking activities that you enjoy you've got potentially we can't go well a lot of people can't lift weights now because they haven't got access to them so there's an abundance of information out there at the moment everyone's doing home workouts everyone's giving away calisthenic programs 
Um, loads of people are doing yoga programs. I know like Shona Virtue does one every day on her uh, on her YouTube channel. And people, it's a good opportunity to ex experience new things. Um, one thing, the last thing I want to mention, I'm sorry, guys, I know I can ramble on. No, um, we're uh, trigger management. So making sure <laughs> that you are aware of potential behaviors or, or things that might trigger unwanted behaviors that don't align with your goals. So if we're looking at this, going i i can't have biscuits in the house because i'll just smash them all and they'll and that's not in line with my goals then potentially reducing the amount that you have in the house might be a place to start and then we can do have mindful mouthfuls and develop that sort of relate better relationship with food further down the line we've got a lot of time to work through these now we've got like three four months so don't try and achieve everything in the first week or the first two weeks we're going to be in lockdown for quite a while so embrace a new lifestyle and take it slowly focus on the process there's no such thing as sort of failing there's just learning and winning so just if you don't get it on time first time then uh, on the mark first time then just use it as a learning experience what can i take from that what can i implement next time to make it a better experience to get better outcomes and yeah so lots to take away there. sorry guys but um yeah it, there's there's so many things we can do which is brilliant because you, you're not narrowed down to anything that there's lots of avenues to explore um, and I think that's the most exciting thing that we can take away from this at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I loved particularly what you said, Louis, there about Mike said on his Instagram about the sooner people accept this, the better the mindset they're going to be in. And I think that's something that's going to be really key. Like I'm, I'm a huge reader of the whole Stoic philosophy. Like I love reading the Daily Stoic every morning. I love everything that Ryan Holiday puts out and everything that the Stoics taught was being present in the moment not worrying about the past, not worrying about the future and focusing on the things that are within your control. And I think uh, everything that you've said there have been great tips of what people can actually do to focus on what's within their control. Because whatever's out there on the news, for sure, we need to be aware of the situation we're in, but we can't get bogged down with all of these things that are completely outside of our control. We've got the advice of what we're supposed to do. That's within our control. And everything with regards to our own eating habits, our fitness habits within our own four walls, yes, those are things that within our control. So we can't be negative around all the things that we can't do anymore. We need to be proactive of all the things that we can do and how can we maximize that? All good yeah. points. Good stuff. So uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to mix in some live questions as well. So if people have got those live questions, throw those in and I'll leave it up to some form of like uh, you all can dive in as to which whoever wants to answer it. So we'll bring in one of those live questions now. So we haven't got a name, but after being in a calorie deficit for six months to lose weight, how would you advise getting back to maintenance calories without putting weight back on? Who wants to have a bash? Can I start with that one? Go for it, Ross. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, I think listen, the, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it, and I, I, I'm very, very careful because I think what we touched on, which I think is awesome, is dialogue is very important. And at the end of the day, if we have like I think it's over twenty odd thousand internal dialogues a day, we have to be very careful with how we go about wording certain things and what sort of words we attach to certain behaviours and actions. Um, so I never like to say something's right or wrong or better or more efficient. There's many ways you can go about it. I can only give, I suppose, what. My experience has been that the research would often say you get back to maintenance as soon as you possibly can, right? 
my anecdotal experience with working with guys because what we do at the Better Body Collective it's very much a health and mind first approach to body composition change hence why we don't put lots of timelines or body fat percentages or labels on things um, I found that generally speaking for for men in particular a, a slower reverse diet i.e. maybe just adding on 100 150 calories and observing both of course physical changes like scale body composition changes but of course also those biofeedback markers as well um, and doing that very slowly over a period of, say, eight to 10 weeks, I tend to find works really well. For females, depending on where their physiology is at, at the end of their fat loss phase, if they're, if some of the health markers are showing some maybe kind of slight, slightly detrimental effects to the diet, it's probably a case of getting back to maintenance as soon as possible for them. But if they've responded really well and are kind of in a pretty decent place, then again, I would also take it fairly slow as well. But generally speaking, just that little bit quicker than maybe what I'll do with my male clientele. That's, that's my personal approach. And when you mentioned um, biomarkers there, just for people who are listening in and not necessarily understanding what you're referring to there, what are some of the things that you're looking at with a, a client that dictates how rapidly you decide to reintroduce calories into their diet? Yeah, so I mean, we um, we use both uh, subjective biofeedback, uh, but we also use quantitative measures as well. So for health, we we look at biofeedback such as you know uh, hunger, energy, cravings, libido, uh, digestive stress, um, recovery from training, fatigue, blood sugar control, all these sort of things. And granted, blood sugar one's an interesting one because there's lots of things outside of food that contribute to that as well. And um, so we take that quantitative data or like, um, sorry, non-quantitative data and match it with, uh, we, we do things like blood pressure with our clients on waking number of times a week. For the relevant individuals, we may also look at things like blood glucose. For those that are happy to wear the wearables, uh, we'll look at things like HRV and stuff as well. Uh, we kind of marry those kind of qualitative metrics with the quantitative, along with then, of course, their progress pictures, weight, um, you know, and just psychological well-being as well. And then taking all that information together, we can then make a bit more of a educated and more holistic, to use the term, decision of how we're going to set that approach up. Okay, cool. Got it. Um, just going to throw in a couple of extra comments here. Louis, you're getting a lot of love in the comments, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of uh, a flash of what people are saying just so you can bask in some, some glory early on in this talk. <laughs> So thank you everyone i can see one of my one of my clients is on as well and um yeah it's just good to it's nice nice to hear that thank you very much guys really appreciate it and we all love you full a4 page of note already so right we'll flip back to questions we had coming in so you can see we are asking asking questions live so keep those coming in keep hitting that emoji button and all that sort of good stuff uh so christy we're going to come to you next so louis i think touched on um, a little bit about healthy relationships with food and things like that. Um, it's a phrase that we often hear about quite a lot, improving your relationship with food and having a healthier relationship with food, and that being one of the key, keys for sustainable weight loss. So in terms of like your own thinking, how do you actually define what that healthy relationship is? And then what practical steps could someone follow to improve their relationship with food in general yeah um i think it's important to note that when you talk about healthy relationships with food they're very closely tied to healthy relationships with your body and body image so 
when you try and define what it is, you can actually refer to the eating disorder associations. Now, when they try and define what a healthy relationship with food is, they come across four different points. So the first being that when you approach food, you should be relaxed in eating it. So that would mean that you eat without absence of guilt. You listen to your hunger and fullness cues. If you defer from what you had planned to eat that night, it's a relaxed feeling. It's not something that is met with fear or anxiety. And that relaxed feeling should transfer into fluctuations in your body weight too. If you truly got a healthy relationship with food, you understand how that food or what you eat from day to day will change how you are from day to day and that that's okay. And they also talk about eating for preference rather than position position meaning fixed rules so eating for preference in terms of could mean preference for your goals could mean preference in terms of you just like what some things taste like which touches on Ross's point earlier about long-term weight loss if you if weight loss is your goal being about what you want your lifestyle to look like it's like if you can never see yourself not eating chocolate again why are you not eating chocolate now? You're supposed to be creating something that is going to last a long time. So avoiding fixed rules such as good or bad foods or carbs are bad or um, no meals after a certain time, avoiding rules like that means that you will have a healthier relationship with food. And then there's a talk about balance as well. So feeling comfortable around wide varieties of foods. And... Um, realizing that the day-to-day doesn't have to be the same so I feel like this is where a lot of people get stuck um because when we talk about balance and also being flexible around food people think they've got it when they start calorie counting because they have the ability to eat everything that they could want as long as it fits in but if you are truly having a healthy relationship with food you're not going to beat yourself up because you had a, a day of indulging because if you had a healthy that makes the difference. I feel like people think they have a good relationship with food because all, when they start calorie counting, because all of a sudden they can start having the chocolate that they wanted and they can also have the salads and things like that. But what happens when you don't meet your calories that day? Mm. like is that is that healthy too if you if you're suddenly into the red and then you hate yourself that's not a healthy relationship with food either a healthy relationship with food is understanding that sometimes you really like food and some days it's all right to eat a lot of it as long as it's not every day and you don't beat yourself up about it do you know what am I making any sense Uh, yeah (laughs) I was I was just about to agree. I didn't know how much longer you wanted to talk for, but because my personal journey as well as I came from a clean eating background and then found if it fits your macros tracking. Um, and for me, it was a huge light bulb of like, oh my God, I don't need to eat chicken and sweet potato for every meal of the day. I can actually have something else. Um, but then because I had such a bad relationship with food, tracking became my dieting. So tracking was my, I was either tracking and I was being good or I was not tracking and I was being bad. And then because, as you said, if I didn't hit my calorie target or went over it, I was like, oh, well, I've ruined it now. And I'd hit the sabotage mode and blow everything up rather than 
looking at it with a healthy relationship with food. So yeah, you're, you're making great points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to add to that as well, Christy, yes. which I thought you were saying. And actually, this is just to go back to something you said, Lewis, as well. I think all these unnecessary food rules are, are critical for people as far as people think they have to just be so, so rigid. Um, one thing we utilize a lot with our clients is teaching them a num- not just having a strategy if X happens, it's having a multitude of strategies for different scenarios. So teaching them things like different calorie buffering methods. You know, it may be like, okay, you know you've got that work dinner on Wednesday night. How are you going to go about that? And having those conversations in advance of, okay, how are you going to plan for that? Because I want you to go out and I want you to enjoy a glass of wine. I don't want you to think, oh, that's bad. It's going to stop with this. Mm. In fact, no, if you want to factor that in, let's make it happen and let's make it work. And I think when people start to feel empowered, that you know what, actually, there's more than one solution to these many different problems. And I think um, that can take so much of a burden off people, which makes all the difference. So I think... Uh, yeah, that segment you did at the beginning, Louis, it covers off so many brilliant points. Yeah, I've, I've got a few other, like, it, I think Christy's pretty much covered everything that I was going to sort of talk on this as well. It's um, There's a few quotes that sort of that resonated with me, and I sort of wanted to um, just say, and hopefully they might sit with a few people. Um, you have unconditional permission to eat or not to eat through position of self-love and self-care. And that doesn't mean, in my opinion, that you give yourself, um, you can go hell for ever on things and just not give a damn. I think self-care and self-love can be structured as well and have um, building routine and thinking about long-term goals. So understanding that if you want to get your run in that morning, this is an exercise example, that getting up early, even though you might be a bit tired, is actually a form of self-love because you want to do better in your race in a couple of months' time. And that's really important that you've got to – there's a massive point on educating our clients, which I think we're all big fans of. Um, there's one uh, quote that I saw, and it was, if I've done my job right, you'll be listening to yourself more than you're listening to me as a coach, that I need to educate you to become self-sufficient. I don't, in my ideal goal with a lot of clients is that after a while, they want to leave and say, I think I've got this, and that means I've done my job right. And they're always free to come back, and they know that. But mm-hmm. that I want people to go off and be able to live their lives and feel like they don't have to stress they don't have those negative emotions that christy was talking about around food that anxiety that stress that guilt that shame that we often see with a lot of slimming groups with um, lots of shaming going on even if it's subliminal um there's lots of things around um that i want to sort of discussing like hunger as well like understanding your hunger understanding cravings being able to ride them out understanding different phases of hunger and not letting yourself get too hungry at certain points as well because when you go past sort of um going past sort of hungry and you go to like starving level that's where you're just gonna feel like you're gonna need every single calorie that's in sight but then also not going to a point of i'm absolutely stuffed and going to i'm content i've i'm full enough i'm really comfortable and i know that i've got another meal coming in a couple of hours time and it'll see me off to then um and then something that I heard from Sarah Fuller, who was at the uh, Matt Nutrition Conference uh, last year, and she was amazing. Um, she works with Arford, sort of um, people with um, who are have like this eating disorders around food and like preference and severe taste sensory and things like that, neophobia and things. Um, and it's food should be comforting. It should be comforting and it should be nourishing in all aspects, not just nutrient wise but also for your like soul and for your relationships with others and being able to enjoy them with other people we want to have it it want it needs to be tasty it needs to be fun at times as well and enjoy it don't 
don't think that just because you're tracking everything you can have that flexible lifestyle that you need to ram all these different foods into your diet if you've got certain preferences and certain temperaments with food then enjoy that within your sphere that you're comfortable with um that it should be sociable as well you shouldn't be isolating yourself off plan with people that you shouldn't be if you're especially especially for spending time with people now you shouldn't be really cooking a separate meal with i think that's very isolating for a lot of people especially yeah. if you've got young impressionable children around you um it should be enjoyed it should be inclusive so let's look at what we can get into our diet instead of just focusing what we can take away and looking at lots of nutrients in there um and making sure that it's for making memories as well so enjoy those times around food if you've got kids at home at the moment and you're cooking meals get them involved they'll always remember i think we've got a massive opportunity especially people who have got young children who potentially um aren't working at the moment that you've got an opportunity to spend with your children and help develop them in other aspects that school potentially doesn't that if you can help them with their relationship with food if you can create you could have mindful meals and create like fruit art or food art and edible art for kids and edible stories where you can eat throughout the story and all the sensory things that they can taste all these experiences these are all so key um and i think these the things with a lot of people that's come that i tend to see a lot with my clients is that if people tend to have a particularly unhealthy relationship with food or with themselves like christy said those two are often related and with like with other people as well um that usually happens at quite a young and impressionable age and when i look at sort of my dieting experience i was probably pressured for my weight because i i was a uh, used to be quite overweight um i was pressured at quite an early age about my weight probably about 15 and yeah. i think for men that's probably less common but i know for women it's usually a lot earlier than that that some people are carted off to slimming world groups at like 12 years old um and we've got to understand like earlier with Ross about the food language that we use and the language that we use towards other people. Would we, the way we talk to ourselves, would we talk to other people like that? Probably not. So um, I did a talk with Tim yesterday and my main point was just compassion. Let's just be kinder to ourselves. Let's, let's give ourselves unconditional permission to eat just yourself around food. And if you don't, if you don't get where you want to go initially, then just use it as a learning experience and move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you've really hit the nail on the head there. Like, those experiences for me happened around age 10. And then what you're saying about the way you talk to yourself, I really think self-care and healthy relationships with food would happen on, like, a continuum. What what mm. you're eating should be guilt-free, and some days it will need more self-compassion, and the other days it will involve more accountability because you do have some goals, and that's a form of self-respect. So... Mm somewhere between the two and that may change on a daily basis mm. i think true food freedom is where you eat something and you might even eat it knowing that you may gain weight from it and being able to accept that yeah yeah and like, as it's, it's okay not to, it's yeah. okay to mindlessly occasionally as well that like we don't not every meal not every movement has to be mindful because that's draining there's a reason that we don't focus on everything we do because mentally you'd be so fatigued so have those key meals have those foods that you might find a hyper palatable the ones that you sort of might be your trigger foods be mindful around those other foods that are usually high in volume high in water content high in fiber um high in protein meals they'll usually you won't need to be as mindful around those because they'll sort of trigger off the satiety signal a bit more quicker than others 
Cool. All right, guys, we've got um, a whole host of questions coming <laughs> in. So I'm going to try and rattle through a few of these. Um, so if you are watching live right now, I am going to skip around the questions and try and make sure they're the ones that are relevant to what's just being said. So I'm not skipping over. I'll come back to you. I'm just trying to keep the uh, conversation flowing logically, shall we say. <laughs> so... <laughs> Roisin comes in and says, um, this is quite a, a, quite a good question. You see a lot online where people will say, you know, you can undo a, some good progress. You can undo a calorie deficit by one day of overeating at the end of the day. So we've talked there about a healthy relationship with food, being okay with maybe having some slightly higher calorie days, some maybe some indulgences and so on and so forth. So how can you create a healthy relationship with, with food if this process of going through a calorie deficit, you can potentially undo in one day. How do we combine the the two sort of thought processes, I guess, is what Roisin is getting at. And who wants to have a have a crack at that one first? Do you mind if I do? I'll go, go ahead. So it's a great question, as you said, because I'm sure we've all done the posts of like, this is why the cheat day mentality is to be avoided. And Louis made some great points along with Christy there of giving yourself undue permission to eat anything that you like. And I think that first step is key because then it stops you from thinking, I can't have this food because it's bad. And it breaks the it breaks the chain of you having something and then and then and then binging because you feel like you've done a bad thing. And it also means that you'll want that food less because it's no no longer the forbidden fruit. If it becomes more of a staple of your everyday living, your body will find a balance between you eating nutritious foods and eating the foods that you truly enjoy because you'll and you'll get there with practice. What I would say to this is that this comes down to that cheat day sabotage mode mindset, because if you go over your calories by a hundred or so, or even 500, and you've been trying to establish like a 400 or a 500 calorie per day deficit, then it, one day out of seven that you've gone over by even 500 calories, you still created a 3000 calorie deficit within the week. If you were aiming for a 500 daily deficit. So it's not actually going to stop your progress. What will stop your progress is thinking, oh no, I've gone over my calories slightly. I've ruined my diet. I may as well crack open the wine, give me all of the lotus biscuits, the hobnobs, the tea cakes, the tunnocks, wafers, and everything else that we've just described. And you <laughs> and fully get and the custard creams. Obviously, how could I miss them out? Um, and you <laughs> and you fully sabotage yourself. So that, that that's where the unhealthy relationship comes from. Whereas what I would say to you, um, Rosine is saying. Actually, if you have a day of overeating, it's probably not as bad as you think. Um, so just wipe the slate clean. Tomorrow is a new day. Stop yourself there as soon as you've realized it. And then just continue that self-love and self-care that the others have talked about and realize that this is a journey that's going to take time, not something that you're going to get right straight away. Mm. Okay. Anything to add, Lou, on that one? Uh, yeah, just um, usually I find with people that if they feel that the the day off or the cheat day that they have um it's usually because they've gone hell for leather on it and basically it's because they probably haven't had that flexibility during the week so i usually tell or ask my clients to have certain foods in their diet throughout the week where it doesn't feel like you're dieting if you can put 10 to 20 percent of your calories towards sort of lower nutrient foods that are high like the ones that you enjoy um, then like Johnny said, they become less, some days you can, you can choose not to have them as well. And that's where we're looking to get to a point where people can go, I can take it or leave it. 
Um, one of the main things I find on those days where people potentially undo a week's worth or six days worth of calorie deficit, alcohol is the, probably the main instigator that people, it lowers your inhibitions, it's quite calorie dense. Um, so just making, you don't have to be perfect, you just have to make better decisions. So instead of going for wine or like lager or cider or something like that, that's quite high in calories, going for a slimline tonic and and it's just or like a vodka diet coke or something like that and interspersing it with hydration and understanding like i said where it all comes back to for me um values goals and lifestyle and where do your values lie within that day and what do you truly want down the line if you think it's you know what it's my friends leaving do i, I probably won't see them again or whatever give yourself unconditional permission to do whatever you want on that day, but then also make peace with the consequences and understand that you don't beat yourself up, that the scales might not have gone down that week. And uh, I think Simon posted about it around Christmas time, that it's if weight gain is the worst thing that can happen, then you've actually got a pretty good life. Like maintenance is something that we're all trying to achieve and what weight gain shouldn't be stigmatized or demonized. It might not be in line with your goals, but actually looking back in your life, you're not going to really remember those weeks where you might have put on a pound. You're going to think of the whole process and the things that you've picked up throughout the whole period of the whole transition and how you learned about nutrition, the things that you can move forward. So if we place so much value on weight, and I understand this is a weight loss question, and that's that's perfectly fine. I'm not anti-diet, but I think weight gain is all part of the process at times that we're just learning as we go throughout and it shouldn't be seen as a complete failure if your weight hasn't gone down that week we can look at other and that's where i look at multiple measures of success because you instead of focusing on your physiological health that week we're actually more focused on your social health with all your friends and making sure that you're you're going on a hen do that week and making sure that you're actually integrating with people and connecting with people rather than worrying about that move losing that pound that week it's there's so much context to it all of it that we've all got to sort of bring in together in one answer. And it's an interesting point there you make about you won't have a memory of what you weighed on April the 4th, 2020 in six yeah. months time. If you've had, you know, spent a lot more time on all of the other aspects of health that you mentioned at the beginning, you know, if you're working on having just generally a happier and healthy life in general, you won't remember what you that you had a half a kilo weight spike on the 4th of April 2020. It just won't even enter into your mind. Um, often it's like an approach I use when clients are going on holiday. So they have this kind of tussle between I really want to enjoy myself on holiday, but I don't want to undo all my hard work. And they get caught in this like two minds thing. So one of the things that I try and push my clients to do is really think about trying to make positive memories while you are on holiday because I can 100% guarantee you that whatever happens on holiday regards weight and body fat and things like that, you can make progress forever and a day after you come back from holiday. But it's the memories that you make while you're on that holiday that are far more important to not just um, having a happy time, but in terms of that overall feeling of health and wellness and things like that. So trying to break those, some of those thought processes can be quite um, challenging. So let's get into some more questions. We are kind of like three quarters of the way through the talk and only about two questions in. <laughs> so a uh, question coming here from Lynn. 
I think you pronounced the D. I'm going to pronounce the D. Lind. Uh, any good advice on keeping mindful and focused for the long-term life change? I know that we've got, uh, obviously, a talk tomorrow. Uh, Louis, Christy, and Amelia are going to talk about mindfulness as a specific topic. Um, but any general ideas around keeping more mindful and focused for the long term? I actually think that um, what Johnny's about to talk about, or what Johnny's talked about, covers quite a lot of that with in terms of building habits, creating a, what Ross said at the beginning about creating a lifestyle that is what you will want it to be at the end. Like the biggest mistake people make is thinking they're in it for the short term. Hmm. So let's let's jump onto that question then specifically, Johnny. Um, so in your experience, obviously you've dealt with lots of different clients, weight loss in many, many different contexts. So what are some of the good strategies, the better strategies that you've used that have been able to help people establish that positive behavior change? What's What are some of the good things that have worked for you and your clients? It starts with that focus of knowing that you are in for a long-term change, as Christy just said there, and, and as we've been reiterating this whole time through. A lot of people think in short-term transformations, as Ross was talking about, you know, like I need to be here in eight weeks, 12 weeks, 60 days, 30 days, whatever. Um, and I'm sure we've all got, or we've done programs in the past that are X amount of time, because it's good to get buy-in for certain folk. Um, but the, at the same time, people then think I need to have achieved this by then and then I can go back to normal life. So what we need to remember is that although achieving fat loss means that you need to adhere to a calorie deficit, which is a short term thing, because at the end goal, as Louis talked about, is maintenance. We want to bring you back to maintenance calories, maintenance intake, maintenance lifestyle habits, which are more than just the food that you eat. We need to remember that the habits are then what we, what need to remain for life. So although the fat loss is temporary, the habits that you're implementing are for life. And that's where fad diet and swimming clubs fail us because they focus on the results and the short-term change. They don't focus on the habits this person then has to maintain for the rest of their life. So that's where I start with, first of all, and usually because I talk about that all the time, people are aware that's what they need to go through when they come and work with, with us at Next Step Nutrition. Um, but what I would say is that where I then start there is saying, right, guys, in terms of habits, I look at where they're at, you know, in terms of there's, there's kind of six to eight habits that I say are pretty much fundamental to losing body fat and keeping it off. And that would be eating protein with pretty much every meal, eating five to 10 portions of fruit and veg a day, eating plenty of fiber, uh, moving every day, be that just a walk or just moving about in general, sleeping seven to nine hours a night, eating mindfully and managing stress in a productive manner outside of food, drink and exercise. And so I look at where the client sits within that sphere and I say, based on where you're at, what you're currently doing, the first steps are probably going to be with this habit. But what do you think about that? What would you like to work on? And I do put a lot of onus on the client to, to suggest where they start working with and meet them where they're at. Because what they need to do then is focus on one of these key habits that's going to make a real difference and focus on only that habit until it becomes autonomous, until it becomes no longer something that requires their conscious effort. So for me, like I, I, I move every day, I eat protein with every meal, I eat plenty of fruit and veg a day. I do these things subconsciously because I've built them as habits, whereas for other people, that's going to require a lot of conscious effort. So you need to understand that 
by focusing on small steps and small changes and one habit at a time, although the process might take longer than you would like, it's going to last longer as well. So it doesn't matter that you haven't reached your goal in 30 days or 60 days. What matters is that in 10 years time, you are a different person and you are able to enjoy your life, maintaining weight, no longer fearing food, no longer fearing social occasions and no longer fearing that whole, what if I put the weight back on? Because everyone who's been in a similar position that I've been on, and I'm sure a few of you guys have, is that the worst thing about weight loss is putting it back on again because you just feel utter crap. So my top tips for habit change would be focus on one of them at a time. Do them religiously until it no longer becomes conscious effort and then and only then move on. And with that habit, make sure that you choose a version of that habit which is so easy for you that it is impossible for you not to do it or for you to say, I can't do it. Because as soon as you think to yourself that there's any doubt in your mind that you can complete that habit, you won't be successful. You'll feel yourself as a failure and you'll end up back at square one. So James Clear in the book Atomic Habits breaks this down really, really well. And I would advise everyone watching this talk to go buy it if they haven't already. There you go. Simon's got his copy right there. I talk about this book so much. I should have a referral code, right? And I'm sure that you guys do as well. Yeah. <laughs> I've got mine here. Um, <laughs> he, talk, he talks about this idea of uh, using the two minute rule. So if you can do anything, do it for just two minutes, because it's likely that you'll do it for longer, but at least the barrier of entry is so low, you won't not do it. So chop up some vegetables for two minutes, cook, cook, cook some food for two minutes, uh, go for a walk for two minutes, do push ups for two minutes, um, sleep for an extra two minutes a night. Like all of these things are things that you would say, yeah, of course I can do that. Do it. <laughs> You know, I, I use something with my clients called a change ruler, where I say out of a scale of one to 10, how likely is this going to be for you to do this on a daily basis? And if it's anything less than a nine, we make it we make it easier. And this is what people need to try and try and do for themselves, because Rob Young talked about this at the Mac Nutrition Conference. People need to have confidence in their ability to do things. And so if you think hear me saying eat protein, Siri's just tried to interrupt my talk. If you um, if you hear me saying eat protein at every meal and you're like, Johnny, I've no idea what a portion of protein is and that's so far out of my league, then you need to make it smaller and there needs to be a different starting point for you, maybe in the knowledge that's required. Uh, try it just with a small amount of protein at one meal per day instead, uh, three days out of seven. And then you can see there that we're still starting with the same habit, but we're starting with a very scaled down portion of that habit which can then be um, built upon over time. Um, and I know I've, I've run it on, but what I would say for a lot of the, the last thing I'd say on this is that when you're creating that first habit, make sure that you create an implementation intention strategy, which means that what you do is rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to eat more protein this week and you leave it there. You're going to say, I'm going to eat, some protein at every meal and i'm going to do this by having protein powder for breakfast i'm going to have a tin of tuna for my lunch and i'm going to have a chicken breast for my tea and then you're speci you're specifying directly what it is you're doing at what time and how and that gives you much more likelihood that you are going to follow through with that habit rather than just saying i'm going to 
I'm going to sleep more mm. this week and just throwing that into the ether and hoping that it magically happens. Cool. Good stuff. Um, quick one for you guys is um, we're coming up to five minutes left of your talk, but I feel like there are so many questions that if everybody's okay to hang on, we will plow through more questions. So if you all give me a thumbs up, I will just carry on talking and firing stuff at you. Um, next one might be a good one for... Oh, go on then, Christy, go for it. Um, I was just going to add on to something that Johnny said. So, so I'll go after like, me. when it comes to all... What? And me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the same, so I'll go after you, Christy. Yeah, and okay. me. <laughs> um, I was going to say, all of these habit strategies do work, they're proven to work, but if someone is watching this and they're thinking, well, I've tried that and I can't do it and it's just another thing to do, that's not a sign that these strategies don't work. That's a sign that something in your life probably needs to change. Like there will, be, there may be something in your life that's taking up too much of your headspace right now, and maybe that might be something to reevaluate. Um, hopefully that makes sense. It's been a learning curve for me this year, in which I've been trying to do a lot of stuff, and it's resulted in me. Um, I'm a school teacher day by day secondary school teacher and it's resulted in me realizing I need to go part-time at school to do the rest of the stuff that I want to do it's not fear mm. um it's not a case where I haven't tried hard enough or anything like that it's that I've had to make realizations about my lifestyle and what is realistic does that do you feel like that adds in or Rob? yeah um to be honest this will be quite just two seven bites from what you said Johnny which I, I can't really like from them I think a lot of people like to major in the minors, we often call it, but looking for all of the minutia that's going to get this magical result versus, like you said, just tackling maybe one low-hanging fruit at a time and then going after that relentlessly, that's that's ideal. And then the second thing was around the whole maintenance versus lean. So one phrase we use with clients when we're literally in that initial consultation is you need to learn to love your maintenance physique just as much as you love the lean physique. Because ultimately, the maintenance physique is the one that you're going to be walking around in the majority of the time. The people get really hung up, and you see, I'm sure Amelia saw this a lot of the competitors that she's worked with. They get so hung up on, but I, I look so good like towards stage condition. Everything else is like, fine, but that's such a small percentage and an unrealistic way to be walking around the majority of the time. So it's so important to be in love with everything that comes with having more energy availability and being able to perform better in the gym and having a little bit more body fat and feeling good and sleeping well. So, yeah, just that message of love your maintenance physique as much as your lean physique. Yeah, I find with uh, people, especially when they they put that that photo on a pedestal and they'll mm -hmm. just see it as, I looked great, therefore I felt great. But did you feel great? What was your relationship with food like? What did you sacrifice? What was your libido? And we spoke about that earlier, that all these things happen, that people think happiness exists at a certain number or a certain body fat percentage. And I think you have to ensure that that change comes from a good place of actually self-worth and self-love in, in again, that sort of self-compassion that we want to talk about that you have to want to change enough to get the best version of yourself and setting yourself up for setting yourself up for success every day and making sure that we can get the best version of you possible in order to progress towards that goal. Um, and not necessarily thinking that I want to get to X point, but thinking about, I'm going to get it where the lifestyle I'm leading at that time is the lifestyle I want to lead for not just eight to 12 weeks, but eight to 12 years. 
Mm, I think it's a, another sort of interesting sort of maybe add on to what you just kind of mentioned there, Louis, about, you know, trying to the, the, get into that very sort of stages of lean and something maybe adding on to what Johnny said previously about him having a poorer relationship with food and focusing in on being a clean eater and kind of then getting wrapped up in tracking and things like that. Maybe just to add a little bit more of a human element to um, what we're talking about here is that. Um, I don't know about all of the guys on this this discussion right now, but certainly, you know, people will look at certainly my pictures online and kind of how I live my life now and think that maybe I don't have or have never had an issue with food and it couldn't be further from the truth. And for many, many years, I was I was I was bullied at school as a secondary school kid for being overweight and things like that. And that really affected both my confidence level, how I felt about myself, about my body. And I really, really desperately felt that being shredded and having a six pack would then lead to an incremental and exponential growth in my own happiness and how I felt about myself. And when I actually got there and I achieved it and I was in the best shape of my life, quote unquote, whatever that actually means, then the happiness didn't come. It just Mm. didn't materialize. Mm. And it was only realizing that, well, actually, my own self-worth and how I feel about my body doesn't come from the external validation of, A, what I look at in the mirror, and B, what other people comment on and say, wow, you look amazing. That internal Mm -hmm. happiness does not come from that six-pack. So I think that, again, people who are trying to lose weight, people who are trying to – you know, get six packs and things like that. Like you said, Louis, I think it's got to come from the the right reason why you want to achieve that specific goal. Because mm-hmm. I think that if I had a someone come to me and was hell bent on getting a six pack, it's it's not necessarily straightforward red flag, but it's maybe a little say, okay, maybe mm-hmm. I dig need to dig a little bit deeper into this person's thought process and their rationale is is this actually going to achieve what they want to achieve is the actual output that they're trying to get not actually an aesthetic goal it's a emotional feeling goal that they think comes from a physical goal and really understanding that so i think that anybody watching this who is really focusing in on weight loss and thinking about um trying to lose body fat and trying to seek happiness and external validation in essentially what is washboard abs or whatever, maybe rethink your thought process and rethink where you're coming from. Because even people like me and probably some of the guys on here as well is that we don't Mm. always in our lives have never rocked around feeling super confident with our bodies. It's something that you develop and you work on. And, you know, some of these things that we're talking about here are not, you start thinking about things overnight and instantly you start thinking a bit differently. It takes practice. It's a bit like doing reps in the gym. You are doing reps with your own mindset, with your own emotional well-being, and you don't get it right every time. You're not perfect every time, but if you're consistent with it, then you actually get that that feeling comes eventually, and I think that would be a, a key thing. Oh, to- sorry, Johnny. Johnny, go first. I've just spoken. So. I just wanted to add to that, Simon, because I had a very similar journey to you in that like I was a chubby kid as well and and then had that same journey and then even when I got a little bit 
uh, slimmer doing CrossFit. There was more of a there's a big body image thing in CrossFit that I don't think a lot of people are aware of that aren't within it, where people think they need to be jacked because all the the games athletes are, and then if you're not, you will still get chubby jokes and things like that. So I was still getting that as a CrossFitter, which is why I then started tracking macros, and I got. I got really lean and I look back at photos now of 2014, 2015, when I first started tracking. And at the time I didn't realize it. I was still chasing fat loss and I look back and it's like, you know, you can see full, full ribs, like six pack abs, eight pack abs practically. And it's, as you said, Simon, I wasn't uh, any happier in that moment because actually I was tracking things religiously. I was training twice a day. I didn't drink any alcohol. I barely went out to eat with friends. I had no social health, because of throwing everything into that physical health bucket. And as Louis said before, there's health is multifaceted. You've got to think of social health, mental health, financial health, emotional health, all of these things. So if you want to lose weight with all of those things in mind, go ahead and do so, but don't change, don't chase the body composition thinking it's going to make you happy. Mm. Make sure you chase happiness in yourself now as well as chasing that body composition and build confidence in who you are right now rather than thinking that you've got to be shredded lean yeah Yeah, and i'd just like to add in like two tasks people could potentially do that might help them sort of start on their steps towards like self-compassion maybe deciding like what they want to do so if you think happiness does exist at a lower weight i know that when i was at a lower weight I'm not going to lie but I started I felt more confident but happiness didn't exist there that was a that was a uh, consequence of other things that I started to do where I started to actually care about myself a bit more and one of the tasks that I get people to do is if you write down three to five people who you value in your life a lot the most and you really really like enjoy them you value their them being your friend or family Write down the things that you value in them, and I guarantee their weight has nothing to do with any of those things. That they, and that's what you need to think about yourself as well. That you bring, you bring so much to the table, and your weight doesn't even come close to the people who actually that you mean something to. So think of that, and then also um, look at the way that you talk to yourself and call yourself out on if you are beating yourself up. Again, I think I might have said it earlier, but would I say that to a good friend who is in my circumstance or situation? If not, then you're you're out of line. So why are you being half to yourself than you would to someone that you care about and you deserve to care about yourself and you deserve to be cared for? So once you get past that and you need to sort of find that and realize that you you are worth caring for, you are worth some you are worthy of love and somebody wanting the best for you. And that should come from you. And then I think we'll all agree that that sort of even though it might be that you want to appear more attractive to other people and things like that, the things that actually are really attractive are self-confidence and being kind to people and having good values and being a good person. And so if you think that I, I, I want to lose weight, because this is where my weight loss came from, is that I wanted to lose weight, so be more attractive. And this was a few years ago, that actually I – the, value, the things that I developed throughout that time of being confident myself and being kinder to people and being a better all-round person was far more valuable to me um, than a number on a scale changing. Hmm. I think it's like an interesting... You go for it, Christy. Go on. Um, 
Um, I was going to say, I think it's important as well, because we're talking about people that are chasing that confidence and um, maybe talking to people that have already met the weight loss goal that they wanted and still don't feel confident or have days of confidence. And then one morning look in the mirror and they're thinking, why am I not enjoying what I look like today? I, I met my goal. And I think the idea that being completely confident with what you look like is quite a fixed mindset too. Like we forget that confidence ebbs and flows just as anything does. Like from day to day, you're going to have different levels of it. And some days you'll not like what you see in the mirror, but eventually you will be able to get to a point if you keep working on how you value yourself, where most days you enjoy who you are and how you feel within yourself. But it's not uncommon to have days where you don't feel like that. And for those people that do, I guess I just kind of want them to realise that they're not abnormal, that there's nothing mm. wrong with them, and it's all right to have them days and then let them pass. Mm. I think the, the point I was going to make was um, related to what like Louis was saying about weight. And sometimes you can have these, I think, interesting like thought experiments almost. And it's like, well nobody watching this the 206 people watching this right now have no clue what i weighed yesterday and what i weighed today and they do not know that i put on a kilo last overnight now i wasn't oh, no. i wasn't a kilo <laughs> i didn't go and raid 17 pizzas it was just a natural fluctuation but nobody watching this thinks any less of my, well, maybe they do, I don't know, but any less of me and maybe my ability to be a coach or to provide advice or to be a good human being. No one knows that. And you can kind of then say, well, if I'm with my partner, my loved one or whatever, and let's say they didn't know what my weight fluctuation was from one day to the next, their thought process to you and how they feel about you just doesn't change. They just don't care about what that fluctuation is. And when you start to think about all of these different, you know, you take one thought and you start to maybe like evolve that thought and start to explore that thought a little bit more, you start to really take the power away from that scale weight and that weight change that you see on a fluctuation basis. And you start to give that those two or three numbers, depending on however you are, those two or three numbers, any power over you and over your mood, it just then becomes a data point that if you are tracking weight loss over the medium to long term for a specific goal, it just becomes a data point that you utilize as a tool to your advantage, not as a disempowering thing that starts to then dictate your mood. So I think that, again, like thinking about those thought experiments about does it really matter that you are half a kilo lighter here and a kilo light heavier over there? In the grand scheme of things, no, it doesn't matter. And I think thinking about those things in the right way will definitely help. Right. I want to come on to another question before we uh, – we are having great conversation here, by the way. People are loving it, so it's, uh, it's all good. So um, what I wanted to do is I picked on this question because we talked a lot about these concepts of – maybe being more mindful about being focusing in other aspects of health. Uh, but this one is coming from a trainer. So Sophie is saying that as a trainer, how can she advise an active young woman who has previously suffered from an eating disorder who would like to lose fat in an emotionally and physiologically healthy way? So 
maybe this person hasn't got an eating disorder now, they've come past that, but then how do they kind of transition back into a, a dieting process? Um, or is it even a particular person that should be dieting at this stage? Difficult to say, maybe personal circumstances, but uh, I'm maybe going to come to, to Louis because I know Louis is, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong that Louis deals with No, that. no, I've, I've had, I've worked with women who have uh, previously had eating disorders and it's, um, they've, years ago, this is probably 20 years on maybe, and um, it, a lot of the time it is, unfortunately, outside our, our scope of practice, some of the behaviours and thoughts in their head um can be sort of quite damaging and it might need further clinical and professional support from like a cbt therapist it might be a clinical dietitian um but be open and honest and develop a good working relationship with that person as best you can and just open the floor to them and say however much you're comfortable to share with me that's perfectly fine without judgment i'll be here for you and once it gets to a point where you potentially feel that your scope of practice or um, that it might be outside your remit, that's where you should be having those quite difficult conversations of potentially as much, I'm here to support you as best as I can and we can still work together, but I feel like we need further clinical support to get you to where you want to be. But like Simon said, um, dieting with people who have potentially, uh, potentially had uh, eating disorders, um, it is can be quite tricky in the fact that they some of them may have um got past that point but they still have tendencies and it can easily slip back into that where they might binge or they might um go into like binge restrict cycles and things and um just being supportive as you can through it try and getting them to eat mindfully um so that would be um some who is it uh is it nelson who does a lot of the mindful eating stuff um and developing uh, sensations of food and getting used to them and educating them through sort of a unconditional permission to eat and how that their body weight or their body fat doesn't isn't their value. They bring so much more to the table. So I practice a lot of self-care with people who have done this. So I set them at least three self-love or self-care activities a week. And when we're all out of this, it's usually stuff like going to get your hair cut and having going to spend a day at a spa or taking yourself out for a coffee date and valuing the person that you are rather than the person you're trying to be and chasing down because you think that again it's, it's people think that happiness will exist at that certain way but actually they've got to learn the person that they are first of all before we can implement those changes mm. great answer louis great answer it's, um, just to add to that simon is um it's tell what louis said we have a, a tagline at the better body collective which is essentially this idea of using the physical transformation as a vehicle to dominate life or you know maybe people find the dominate a bit more of an aggressive word but i think that if you were to put that in an even more simpler term it's just this idea of don't fall in love with the end result fall in love with the process mm. and that's, i think that's a great way to to look at it and especially i've, I've had actually funny enough quite a few young females that i've worked with um, and just taking that away from body composition and putting performance goals in place i yeah. found it's been hugely helpful because the thing is if they just focus on getting stronger in the gym, focus on putting more time and effort into themselves, then generally speaking, the other stuff tends to, to follow afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. I yeah. think what you said about finding out if it's in your remit is a really good thing as well. So finding out what their experiences are as much as they'll tell you um, and knowing when, if 
I've had experiences where I've been able to talk to the um, the eating disorder eating disorder counsellor that they were working with before. Um, so I have a partnership with with a counsellor at the minute where I can refer out when I feel that there's a worry. But um, those conversations where they've signed off on someone saying no, they are ready to do this, as mm. f- because that question was from a trainer, I would say that would be really good for you just to just to make sure that person truly is ready and you've got a professional that has assessed that too and mm. um, just to say if they are if this person's based in the uk um there's a really good charity and it can be totally anonymous it's called beat dot uh, uk i think it is and it's to do with beating eating disorders but people can go into chat rooms and get support there so um you as a coach can sort of potentially get some advice from there as well potentially how best to approach it and get to the point but um, it's good to have those things and offer them to clients as well and say, here is an avenue. Don't feel pressured to discuss it yet. Just when you're ready or if you ever feel ready, there's support here as well as me um, to get you through and get you where you want to be potentially. And Louis, it's what are you saying? to know about? anybody that's, sorry. I was just going to oh, say anybody right. that's watching to know that you don't have to be a coach or anything to refer to be. So like if you've got a family member you're worried about, anyone mm. can refer. Louis, what I was going to say was just when you mentioned about mindful eating for all the readers in this group and watching, if you want to look up The Joy of Half a Cookie, I know a book that was recommended by Laura Tilt, who was a dietitian who did a talk on mindful eating at the, again, the Mac Nutrition Conference. Um, and that book's a really good, helpful book of not only what mindful eating is, but there are steps on like how to build it as well in a really practical manner with exercises and printout guides and things like that. So I definitely recommend that for a lot of people watching definitely cool uh so we'll take a little bit of a, a little bit of a momentary break you can have a little bit of a sip of water or something like that um so if you're those of you who are watching the 197 people that are still watching if you're enjoying what you are hearing drop some comments in give these guys some love hit those emoji buttons the likes the hearts all that sort of good stuff and then once the talk is over don't uh, forget to follow these guys all over instagram because Not only are they giving you a massive amount of value now, they can give you a massive amount of value in the future through their social media content as well. So make sure you uh, show these guys a little bit of love because that's always good, isn't it? So uh, next question, and we've got tons, so we're going to have to rattle through (laughs) these a bit faster. So uh, I'm just going to pick people at random now. Ross, you can have this one. Helen says, thoughts on fitness trackers for people during this time and the mindset of seeing their steps go down and their calories go down with it um i think with fitness trackers in general we, we do use fitness trackers a hell of a lot of our clients and like louis uh, mentioned at the start of the talk kind of giving people multiple markers of success if those steps start coming down i think people will often just literally see that as an automatic failure but i think when people get disheartened periods i think it's often like the two things it's usually um a loss of perspective uh, a lack of knowledge or both um, and so just being able to give people a bit of a perspective on the listen we all understand what the current climate is we understand what the current situation is so that the level of importance we might place on you having 12 15,000 steps a day that no longer has quite as high an importance anymore so here's what we're going to do I'm going to take the steps off the table you can take your Fitbit off I don't want you to think about steps I just want you to focus on if you can get outside go for a half hour walk that's it if you can um, you got, if you can't get outside and you've got a flight of stairs in your building, 
pick a number of stairs that you think is achievable to go do it, go do it and get the elevator back down. Take it away from being this kind of, like again, that whole chasing a number and make it more about just that habit. Like just get a walk in, just get a flight of, you know, 20 flights of stairs in and that would be the best way I'd probably go about it because the reality is, is yes, steps are going down. Yes, energy balance will need to be adjusted. But you can also look at, well, what is within my realistic control at this point and what can I do to put in place to keep mm-hmm. things at just a happy, happy medium, a happy maintenance. Cool. Awesome. Uh, there's a question come in about Johnny. What was the the full book name? Someone didn't quite mention that. I think it was The Joy, Joy. of Half a Cookie, um, if I'm right thinking, yeah? The Joy yeah. of Half Yeah, that's the one, Joy of Half a Cookie. Cool. Next question. Uh, Christy, maybe. You're next up. Here we go. Pressure. Oh, Live gosh. questions. <laughs> Noon. Noon. Uh, Noon is, I know the username very well. She appears on my Instagram lives a lot. So hello to you. Uh, what would be your advice for someone who wants to lose weight without counting calories? I find it a bit exhausting sometimes. Thanks in advance. Um, counting calories can be really useful in terms of learning about nutrition within food so it's a nice place to start but it doesn't mean you have to stay there so when you start counting calories you learn the values of different foods that's important to know so that you can make decisions based on how much is in them and also things like how much protein is in them higher protein means you're going to be feeling fuller if you don't want to count calories at all it would still be worth looking at the values on the packaging of the foods that you're having just so that you have some insight when you do that you can start keeping sort of a log of how your weight um reacts to that over an average of perhaps a week because weight always does fluctuate so test the way that you're eating if you feel like you're or if you notice a trend of your weight still going up I would suggest adding some of the things that Louis mentioned earlier of more protein into every meal, things like more vegetables because they are lower calorie and you can eat a lot of them for low calories, eating mindfully, which means that perhaps being hands-free while you eat. So put things in your mouth and then put your, put your knife and fork down, actually chew your food. Um, when it comes to mindful eating, there's actually a grounding technique for anxiety that I've sort of adapted for it and it's to use your senses. So what I say to my members is is if you eat something and you can't tell me what that food looked like, what it smelled like, what the texture of it was, what it tasted like and what it smelled like, you probably didn't eat it slow enough. If you can't tell me the sensory details around it, then you're not really enjoying your food and you perhaps need to slow it down. When it comes to portion control, it I would have to talk to that person um, specifically to find out where they're at first so that we can talk about what's kind of an, um, the amount for them because remember everybody's um, needs are different. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's um, expenditure is different. What they need their calories for is different. So we'd have to talk about that first. Um, I find that having a drink with everything that you eat helps, whether it means that you have a glass of water before or during. I find that having a drink in your hand most of the day anyway is a helpful tool because 
it's that links into the habit stuff that Johnny's talked about. When people stop smoking, for example, you'll notice that most of them gain weight. And it's not that stopping smoking makes you gain weight. It's that they're so used to bringing something to their mouth, they've built that habit. So they replace the cigarette with food. If you are a snacker, then you could replace that with a bottle of water and first of all, make yourself feel that um, hydrated, which will probably make you feel less hungry and also fill that habit without having to break it. Because when it comes to habits, they're a lot easier to adapt than they are to stop. So you can work with them rather than try and remove them. And that is a better way to amend things for your goals. Um, anybody want to interject? Um, yeah, it's just about um, using like hunger scales and things like that. A lot of people don't tend to realise about what actual hunger and satiety and fullness actually is. And um, I think of it as like a scale. I've done one on my Instagram, but um, and you can go find it on my Instagram if you need to, just to get the visual aspect of it. But it's a scale of one to ten, and usually sitting between um, being content, which is about a seven or an eight out of ten. So you could eat more, but you probably feel uncomfortable, uncomfortably full. Um, and then also going down to a two and a half. So you're gone past package and you're hungry. And hunger usually, I usually differentiate it as if, you're, um, if you've got a craving, it's usually something in particular that you want. It's usually, oh, I really fancy. And you know which specific food, what you want. If you're hungry, you fancy a meal. You fancy if whatever's was put in front of you like I'd, I'd happily eat it and try not to get down to that below that sort of um, hungry scale where you're oh I'm absolutely starving and then that's where you might overeat potentially and um, looking at portion size so like Chrissy said earlier about vegetables and like salads and things like that and um, making sure there's a like the color of the rainbow and lots of lots of that in your meals will help fill you up with food volume by stretching your stomach a little bit with protein um, and having like two to three meals a day where it is predominantly like whole grains it is fresh food and things like that and making sure that we are getting predominantly all our foods predominantly from plants ideally um but from less processed foods because we know that if you have more processed foods you're more likely to over consume on them as well 100 percent. yeah that's a great i can't point. believe i missed that i'm so nervous that some of the stuff that i normally say is just out of my head um i did want to say though when you come the hunger and fullness scale is what I use with my clients as well. But when we come to craving, oh. it's actually a CBT technique where you can delay, distract, decide when it comes to cravings and it should help you figure out if you're actually hungry or not. So delay for 10 minutes, distract yourself in that time and then decide. And if the decision is that, yeah, I actually do still want that, then that's fine but at least you've made it in a controlled um, environment. At least you are not letting your craving drive that eating. You've made a decision to eat it, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd like to add to that as well. Sorry, Johnny. Um, it was just, um, I know there's obviously the physical habits around, like, you know, for example, taking your time to make sure that your food is like a pace-like consistency or, you know, if someone's kind of target-driven, give them like 20 chews per bite, roughly, or if they're sensation and get it to like a pace and make sure you can taste the real flavours and sweetness of the meal. Uh, but I also think probably quite relevant in this circumstance, if someone is maybe a bit more seasoned or a bit more advanced, or maybe they've just had a bit more experience with tracking, 
uh, just utilizing different time-restricted feeding windows and things like that. The reason why I don't like to use the term time-restricted feeding for maybe people in the beginning, at least the term, again, just that word restriction. Um, but when people are in a place where mentally they don't have any attachment to that word, utilizing um, different time-restricted eating windows and fasting and things like that are fairly, fairly good strategy for if you're not tracking or if you're at maintenance. Cool. Good stuff, guys. Cool. Um, I want to bring in another question. Um, Johnny, I think you were itching to talk, so you can uh, field this next question. <laughs> so uh, Tamara says, I generally hate routines, team ADHD, because I get bored. I'll plan meals, then not feel like eating what I made later in the week. How do we build flexibility while also basically trying to create some structure around your meals? I think that's a great question. Um, and what I would say is that I'm a big, I'm a big personality guy. Like I'm very extroverted and as such, I'm someone who also hates routines. Uh, I like quite a lot of flexibility. So, um, what I do is I have like a set, you know, set things that I might have per week and then I will have them when I feel like them. So, what I do with clients in the same position would be if we're trying to hit certain habits of having protein with each meal and having a certain amount of fruit and veg per day, we can talk about meals that fit those, uh, those habits in different, uh, like ideals, like what, what could be breakfasts, what could be lunches, what could be dinners, um, and snacks included as well. And then you have a smorgasbord of options that you can choose from. You right, can right. shop, you can yeah. shop thank you you can shop uh you can shop for all of the ingredients that you need for that week let's say because you've you've pinpointed seven breakfast seven lunches seven dinners if you wanted to mm -hmm. be that uh descriptive about it and then when you have them you can you can choose what you want in which slot so you're not you're not you're not restricted to having uh protein porridge for breakfast on monday you could say actually this morning i fancy doing this as one of my breakfast options and i know that that fits the quota of what i'm looking for and the habits that i'm trying to build and you can do then the same thing with lunches and dinners you can say right i can have this as my option and then uh, because that's what I fancy right now. And as you get better at this, you will become much more in tune with what foods are proteins, what foods are carbohydrates, what foods are vegetables. And you will eventually be able to be less and less prescriptive because over time your habit will be, ah, oh, I want to have lunch. I'm going to have a tuna sandwich on whole grain bread, Louis. And, uh, and have some and have some fruit as a you know on the side and that's going to be my lunch and you know that you're hitting the habits that you need um and it's less prescriptive than you must eat this on monday lunchtime because that's why meal plans have good and bad points to them right because a meal plan's great because it brings you a result but what do you do when you when you can't follow the meal plan you, you just self-combust because you can't live life mm -hmm. so it's much better to have almost a a flexible meal template for want of a better word that you could stick to at first and then once you've built those habits and that knowledge you can gradually move away from it over time and johnny if your next instagram post doesn't involve the hashtag shop for your smorgasbord i will be very <laughs> i've got to go to the shops after this call so i'll probably do it then <laughs> your um, smorgasbord. just one one thing to throw in there a lot of the time it's sort of just a difference, different options to suit different moods as well. So having hot and cold options, having meat options potentially 
um, having plant-based options, having potentially fish options and things like that for lots of different meals. And we are making sure that they're not too much effort, that we can cook quite easily now. Within like five to 15 minutes, most meals can be cooked all the way through. So uh, if you've cooked that earlier, put it on ice and leave it in the freezer because later on in the week you could fancy that. So bringing it back out and going, I've already made that, I've already spent the time and effort that actually I don't have to put in now then um, you're just helping yourself further down the line. So potentially having a few different options that are different in their texture, in their taste, in how you serve them, um, potentially having those in the freezer that potentially take a bit more time as well. Um, you can save yourself time down the line and they're ready-made for you. Cool. I've actually um, replied to this earlier on the thread, saying the similar thing that I don't like cooking very often. So when I do, I make like eight dishes sticking in the freezer. Mm. you know and then you end up with you know chicken stir fry one night spider ball another night and you just have to open the freezer yeah right um a couple of questions uh around i think louis i've seen you post on social media about it before so i'm going to come to you for this one and this is let me find the question it's right here related to our friends in slimming world I'm struggling to stop seeing foods as free foods and sins as I followed Slimming World for years. Any tips of breaking that mental cycle, Louis? Um, so I did a lot of research for my master's on uh, weight management groups and Slimming World was one of the ones that I sort of had a look into. Um, there's one quote that um, we all know Martin McDonald came up with, which was um, see all foods as on plan so you can never be off plan, which I really like. So having a look at um, re-educating yourself by following good people online, which is a really good, if you follow us five here, that's a pretty good place to start. Um, that's, that's, not a show, that's not a plug. That, we all put out really good information that help people build better relationships with food, but also help them achieve their goals as well, which I think is really important. But with regards to Slimming World, um, it gets people success short term, but you often find people hit a plateau and then they leave. And then the phrase is always, I'm going back to Slimming World. I'm back on Slimming World. Um, we've got to break that cycle at some point. What have you got to lose by stepping away from Slimming World? If you stick with it, you're going to be exactly where you are at the moment. If you step away, then it's always going to be there. So if I have clients come to me who potentially have a certain way of eating in their head, um, so like Ross said earlier about intermittent fasting restriction, I've got people who are like, I'm an intermittent faster and that's their identity. And like Johnny says with the clean eater, these identity-based behaviours are really hard to let go of because then you're letting go of part of your identity as well. So um, we want to sort of step away from that. Slim World will always be there. There's, you can always try new things and go back if you find that works out better. But I'd say give yourself a chance to open up and try new foods and enjoy foods guilt-free. So I know that if you have a banana, that's fine. But if you mash it up, then suddenly it's a couple of sins. That makes no logical sense to any of us here. Um, and, and that and that's not your fault. That's the that's the system's fault. So don't. This isn't a personal thing at you. This is just slimming world in general. Um, so I'd take the leap, and I know it can be scary. We've all done scary things before. So Johnny stepped away from clean eating before, and slowly broke that down. And I bet that wasn't an easy journey. I used to track quite a lot, and you find that stepping away from tracking and trusting yourself and believing that people if people ate normally 
before slimming well people ate normally before clean eating before tracking so doesn't mean that you can't survive without it so i'd say look at the endless possibilities outside of slimming world rather than potential downsides to it because i think you'll be surprised at what you'll find can i add on to that Um, as well just before we move on like you know i know quite a few people who do slimming worlds and um sometimes can appear anti and it wasn't for me not supporting these people's weight loss journeys it was just because of the same thing you said there of this this whole idea relationship with food can be really skewed for a lot of reasons um and slimming world do it just because they want to give people a system that that can be easily followed so i don't think they do it um you know with malintent but it's just the the product isn't as great as it can be. What I would say is that in The Joy of Half a Cookie, the author talks about an experiment where she goes to the vending machine at work and buys everything that she's ever wanted to have from the vending vending machine, but she always saw as off plan, as Louis just said there. And although she ate until the point of being sick, the next day when she did the same thing, she bought far fewer options. And then by the third or fourth day, all of these foods had just lost their magic over her because they were all now on plan and she didn't want to have them anymore because they were no more they were no longer restricted foods that were bad um and something that we all are taught as nutritionists are there are no good and bad foods there are just good and bad diets there are good and bad ways of eating so as much as you can include these things in your regular life and break that cycle it's not going to be easy as louis said it's part of the identity process and it's going to be a journey but slowly and surely as you take that step onto the bridge you will eventually cross it you just need to trust yourself that you can do it awesome cool yeah, i was Good gonna stuff. say if, if you really do want some proof that there's life after swimming world i did it for four years and there is proof you can get away from it and you can have a healthier relationship with food Cool. Awesome. I'm going back to uh, talk number one and doing some mobility here because I've been standing for five hours, 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a very funny. I'm on several stretch. It seems like a this morning to say, I'm going to stand and not sit down all day. But now <laughs> maybe I need to uh, mobilize. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right, Johnny. challenge on TikTok. Johnny, we're losing followers by the minute. <laughs> um, right, what? next one. I'm sorry, I'm late. It's okay. You're here now. Uh, just wondering if you have any tips for managing appetite when not genuinely hungry, just crazy appetite. Now, what I would say to this person, sorry, your name's not there. I would normally say your name, but it's not there. I imagine your name is not so long. Um so we've got a talk tomorrow uh, with Amelia is going to join Louis and Christy talk Christy. about mindfulness, talk about mindfulness in relation to self-care, but also appetite, hunger, emotional eating. So there's going to be a really in-depth discussion about this topic. But I realize that some people might not be able to make that and they're here now. So maybe we want to just touch high level on um, some of the uh answers to that question and i'll leave it open to the floor as to who wants to crack that one off and start going anyone i'm i'm happy to talk about it um so managing your appetite in general if you we spoke about hunger scales before and they're quite useful so acknowledging when you're actually hungry and writing at certain points throughout the day of how hungry you're on a scale of one and so if you are a 
three out of 10, that means that you're not very hungry at all. But if you're a 10 out of 10, that means you're starving. So let's have a look at throughout the day how your hunger might change. Um, and then picking foods that potentially will benefit you in regards to the help and satiate you so you're not feeding so hungry so often. So high volume, lots of protein, things like that. Um, and then also, um, it's really hard in lockdown at the moment, which I presume you are. Most of us are in lockdown most of the day where you only get out at certain points and not traveling to work. So um, having structure throughout the day where you get up at a certain time and you have breakfast at a certain time, depending on how hungry you are, depends how much you want to eat for breakfast, but having certain points where you eat and can eat to a comfortable level of fullness throughout the day, I find really important, especially when we're locked in and really close to available food options that are potentially more palatable, more easy to overconsume on. Um, and then what we spoke about earlier, and we will be speaking about tomorrow, sort of those mindful meals. And if you um, pick up something, this is a really good quote, again, from Amelia, which is um, going towards a picking something from the, the cupboard and go, what is my intent? Understanding your intent with what you're going to do. So am I going, am I hungry and I'm going to satisfy that need for hunger? Or am I bored and admit and calling yourself out and saying, I'm just eating because I'm bored. So what should I do? What can I do to entertain myself in order to get past this point and surf in the urge of cravings and hungers until you come back down? Because the cravings are all transient. They won't be around forever. They'll fade at certain points. So just riding that wave out, keeping yourself busy and occupied and then checking yourself in probably 20 minutes, half an hour afterwards and going, right, where am I on that hunger scale again? Do I what do I want to eat? Do I want to eat? What, am I busy? Um, and yeah, lots of different things you can try there. What yeah, I want to sorry, say there. Sorry, go, Johnny. You go first. I was just going to say really quickly. When I was growing up, I would go into the kitchen and say to my mum, "Mum, I'm hungry," and she'd say, "Have an apple." And I'd be like, I don't want an apple. I want like X, Y, Z. And then she was like, "If you were truly hungry, you would have whatever would nourish your body." And so that that's a good test to say, like, if you're hungry, actually hungry and you've just eaten or whatever, like have some more vegetables or have a piece of fruit. It's going to keep you fuller for longer, more fiber, more nutritious. Otherwise, as you said, Louis, maybe just a craving. And at that time, you could probably overcome it. It depends on how desperately you do truly want that food. Mm. So this reminds me of a funny video I saw yesterday, actually, where it's exactly the same but the kid this little like a, i don't know maybe like seven eight nine year old um he was given an onion instead of an apple and he just <laughs> he decided munched the onion because he was hungry so yeah if you're really hungry you'll just chew through an onion have you ever had a have you ever had a raw onion like in full no yeah, yeah. i have but we don't yeah. need to go there <laughs> Rugby, rugby, that's all. Yeah. Rugby. Um, just supposed to add some non, non-food or non-eating aspects to that question would just be a lot of people often struggle to manage their appetite and hunger because they don't look after the lifestyle factors as well. So we also have to remember that poor sleep um, and stress have a huge influence on our blood sugar and mm. that's a huge impact on our appetite and everything else. So Looking at stress and sleep, like be really honest with yourself. What are you, what is your current sleep hygiene and architecture currently looking like? And is it maybe that it's a non-food related area that you need to hanker down on to actually improve that that hunger uh, signaling and kind of the leptin and ghrelin signaling? Um, the other thing would just be hydration. Often hydration masquerades as hunger. So it's just if you're super hungry or feeling like oh, I'm not that satisfied, 
have a glass of water and give it five minutes. And it's amazing how often that just helps the, the appetite of the hunger subside. And of course, it just adds a bit more volume to the, the belly as well. Mm-hmm. And it always comes back to just, you know, a lot of people, they might eat a plate of food, but it's one thing engulfing a plate of food. Most people just go, they just swallow on one bite versus sitting and going, how many people really take the time to sit, like you say, not be on your phone, not be on TV, just being super present with food, being mindful and chewing. That's a very different response that you're going to get from a satiety point of view from that meal than if you just engulf the cell food down in five minutes. So those would just yeah. be some like, non-psychological tips, behavior tips to look at. Yeah, cool. Um, cool. So we've got some more questions coming in. I'm just going to quickly say a shout out to, I think it's Gillian, who's asked a question about creatine. It's not specifically where related to weight loss, so we'll try and answer that at a different time for you. Um, so um, uh, let's have a look at another question coming in. Oh, that is the creatine question. I'm good. I'm a professional. Um <laughs> Here we go. This this is it, I think. There you go. Uh, hey guys, just had a question. We're getting a bit of feedback. Uh, just had a question as a coach. How do you deal with clients who feel guilty about eating off plan and then they tell you about it? He wants to try and tackle that one. What's off plan for your clients, though? Mm. A good question. Right. Like they might that they've been that honest with you so that shows that you've built a good relationship with that person which is really good um but i'd also say that um giving out plans or if it depends what you mean by off plan if it's actually a meal plan then just moving away from that and teach them about sort of better behaviors around food and sort of like johnny was talking about earlier with your having regular proteins throughout the day having so many vegetables and fruit throughout the day these are really really useful things um, but um, removing that guilt, removing and, that, and that. the reason they feel probably guilty is because they w- want to make you, they don't want to let you down. And then taking you out the process and going, you're doing this for you and not for me, makes probably them a bit more accountable at certain points as well. That potentially you'll have to reduce your restriction, but also you might have to improve their accountability at the same time and meet somewhere in the middle. Mm. Yeah, and then they might just well. Sorry, sorry, this will be super quick. Um, I sometimes use an analogy with clients, like and what you said, Lewis, was literally words out of my mouth. This whole idea listen, this is I'm just a facilitator, you're doing this for you, you're not doing it for me. I'm just here to empathize and understand your journey and help guide you through that journey. So sometimes I like to use the kind of one in 82 example. So I always say, clients, well, imagine you had three meals a day. And so if that's seven days a week, that's 21 meals in a week. And over four weeks, that's 84 meals. If you have one bad meal out of 84, do the math on that. That's the 1.2 something percent. If you're 1.2% off plan over the course of four weeks, even if you had four meals, you're like maybe 6% off plan. That's pretty damn good going. So sometimes that little shift of perspective can be really, really useful for them. Make them feel a bit well, you actually, you're right. That one meal really isn't the end of the world as well. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think, think this comes back to... Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's my hand raising. We're going to have to do this. Sorry, Christine. I was just going to say, it comes back to what Louis said earlier about the self-compassion versus accountability, like teaching your clients. It's it's them that they're doing this for. What, Where on that scale do they need to be today? Do they need to be on that form of self-respect where they're respecting their 
their wants and needs and their want goals enough to meet enough uh, everything. To meet, uh, everything. Oh, I'm hearing myself back. Oh, um, yeah. Or is this a day for self-compassion? And there's also a question of why is why does this keep happening as well? So there's many different layers to why people self-sabotage. Mm. And one of them to do with not a fear of success, but a fear of change. Like there's a lot of changes that come with actually succeeding with what you're going mm. through with the new lifestyle that you're trying to create. Maybe your friends, your family are giving you a bit of grief because it questions how they see their lives. And then you've got to deal with that. Added on that. Have, have they have, got have a they conscious got... fear of what happens if I do actually achieve this and my life has to change and maybe I'm not ready for those big changes yet. Mm. 100%. I was only going to add something at the very end where I, I feel like the person clarified their question further down and said, I guess off plan would be outside allocated macros and calories, things like that. Yeah. And I think, and as Louis said, you've got a great relationship in that they've come to you and said that they felt that they have done this and they felt guilty. So at least they're not adhering maybe to the parameters that you've set, but they're being then honest about that non-adherence and asking you to troubleshoot with them, which is great because then that opens a conversation. Um, and that would go back to what we mentioned earlier around this whole idea of flexible dieting isn't just about tracking calories and macros. It's about having flexible targets and a, and a whole holistic view of food and nutrition and a healthy relationship with food. So it's knowing that there will be days when you uh, go off you know you overhit targets and it's looking at why that happened and whether it was for a good reason or a bad reason and and what I would term a good reason would be if I go to my brother's wedding then I'm gonna get absolutely hammered and I'm gonna have three slices of birthday cake and dip my hands in the pick and mix jar and not care about it at all because I'm living fully in the moment I'm enjoying the the period of time with all of my friends and family um, and we're celebrating a great life event I'm not gonna think oh I shouldn't have that because I'll go over my calories and that's a bad action I'll just think it doesn't matter because tomorrow I'm just gonna go back to what I was doing and everything's gonna be fine I'll have a bit of water weight but it's not a bad thing. Um, so I guess it's having that conversation with the client and saying, what caused that going off plan, going over calories? Was it sabotage mode or did you do it for a great reason? And then you can troubleshoot uh, beyond that and and create better strategies and just a better relationship. And I just want to say that there's um, a comment in there from Amy Pickering going, some of my clients do this even though um, I'm clear that there are no foods off limits. And I just wanted to tag on the end of that and say um, it's worth sitting down and sort of discussing potential reasons and triggers why they're potentially and it, and what you define as off plan and what they define as off plan because they might be different things. So um, having these things is the thing is with coaching is never going to be a straightforward process and people think that it's going to be a straight line and correlated like that. There's going to be bumps and people are very nutrition is easy, people are difficult. And as bad as that sounds, people um, make the comp the a very individual and behave in certain ways, and and things drive these behaviours. So we've got to look at aspects of making it a very individualised approach of getting them where they want to be or as close to that as possible with the least amount of stress possible, and making sure that it's sustainable for them as well. Right. Um, so 
just just quickly, uh, Ross, I think because there's a, maybe a slight delay to Dubai. We've got, I think it's your mic's giving a bit of background, so I've just popped you on mute uh, while you're not talking, but feel free to come back in at any point. We've got about five minutes left before, in five minutes, time, well, it's time we've got Jamie Alderton to come on and talk about various different things. It's going to be a hugely uh, beneficial talk. So we've got time for one more question, which I'll uh, fire at Ross because he hasn't spoken for a little while. Um, Casey, I'm not going to try and hazel them. I'm going to go with that. She's a, a routine at the moment because I feel motivation is very hard, but yet I'm motivated for my clients and I can keep them on track and they're losing weight, etc., and hitting their goals. But when it comes to me, it all goes to pot. So have you got any advice for someone in that position, maybe helping others, but struggling to help themselves? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll keep this really short so I can pass on to some of the other guys because we've got a short amount of time. I think um, relating to myself at this point in time, I know my wife, Mal, and I, like, you know, we've been spending a lot of time home together now working on the business, and it's been really positive from that point of view. We've been able to give so much time back to our clients, be able to work on those projects that we've been putting off for ages and ages and ages. But I'll be honest, the first week or two, like, and I, we're both very motivated people to train. We enjoy training. We really enjoy getting workouts in. But I'll be honest, like the home environment is an environment we see as a place to, to relax and not to train. The gym is a place to train. So it might just be spending a bit of time just understanding, well, listen, this is the new normal for the moment. Like we can't just see this as only a place to relax anymore or to work or whatever it is you associate with the different rooms in your home. Uh, I, I did like the, the advice Louis gave about now that we're in lockdown, kind of segregating areas of the house for specific purposes because that will help a lot. And can I get a bit of a state um, transfer uh, but the other thing that's helped us as well is we so I work with Callum Rystrick of the Muscle Mentors who will be on tomorrow and we just said to Callum listen you know whatever way you want to attack this um, we feel like it's a good time now that we're at home to actually go through a bit of a tidy up phase and I've actually been going through a bit of a massing phase recently so one thing that helped us was switching goals switching gears and focusing on a slightly different goal so it's kind of almost like this exciting new fresh start to things and it's not this kind of stale like, okay, well, I've been on the same plan for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months. Um, and that can sometimes be a really useful way of kind of flipping the switch on love. I'm just a bit motivated to continue doing the same routine because now you've got a new environment, so to speak, creating almost a new a new goal. So maybe even if you're, like, say, dieting or you've got really lean, it might be like, right, actually, I'm going to switch gears and reverse diet and just maintain for a while and put other priorities in place. I think it's okay to prioritize your clients during this period, given that they're the ones that really need you at this point. But just definitely allow yourself to, if you've got a coach, you know, really lean on them during this period because even coaches need coaches. Uh, we all need to be supported through this time. Um, mm. I think the other thing as well is just make sure if you set yourself up a schedule, just make sure you're scheduling. It doesn't have to be training, but just schedule time for you because like your clients need self-love, you also need to give yourself self-love as well. Awesome. Great point. Go for Louis. Um, I'd say um, potentially you're feeling potential bit of guilt that you're not feeling motivated right now and i just want to say it's okay you're not feeling motivated that we're all struggling to adjust and finding our way through this um and as a fitness professional i know a lot of us tend to go elsewhere to train and leave our house and go to a gym and that's where we get our buzz and that's what we love about what we do and being locked in your house and having to adjust massively um is a big change for everyone at the moment um so i'd say that be kind like um ross just said just be self 
be compassionate and like if your clients aren't feeling motivated at the moment as well just give them a bit of care um but if they are use that as fuel as we go through their um what was it and then it all goes to pop um and then potentially um looking at what your goals are at the moment as well so i know i've adjusted my goals recently that i've started getting into a lot more running a lot more distance running which i've never done before because it's a new opportunity for me to try something and that's really motivated me to go out like four or five times a week to do stuff people in our group are really like embracing handstands learning how to handstand and stuff and doing yoga and things like that all stuff that we probably never thought we'd be doing four or five months ago but we're embracing the challenge. It's exciting. It's new. We've got plenty of time to practice. So potentially having a look at what are you motivated to do right now and and what what could motivate you um, to get to try new things, to learn new skills, to pick up old skills that you've potentially forgotten as well. Cool. Uh, I could bring Johnny in. Yeah, Louis, what you just said there about bringing in old skills that you might not have done for a while is a great point because that's something that I do with clients anyway is try to get them to do activities and things that they did when they were growing up that they really enjoyed that they just did for the sake of it. Because as adults, we just pull in like, we have to go to work, we have to exercise, we have to cook, we have to you know do adult things and we leave all of those things behind. So if you can, you can switch things up and focus on that. So I think that's great. What I'd say to you, Casey, is that it sounds from your language that you had a routine before. Um, and that you're usually someone who does like routine and this has just thrown you completely out of whack. So what I said to everyone that, that is great at building routines or prefers to work from a routine is to just create a new one. Like what Louis and Ross have both said about having new places to do certain things, having different areas of the house where you do certain things, create a new timeline. So, you you know, you now talk to people, you now do your client work at this time, you do your exercise at this time. And, and as Louis said, it's okay not to feel motivated. Perhaps it's then just building new habits because motivation always dwindles. It's, it's the habits that we rely on really when our motivation is low. Um, and one last thing, I'd just say that Tamara is wondering what pick and mix is because she's American. Mm-hmm. So just for her clarification, it's mixed candy. All of your favorite candies that you would have in a, a selection bowl or a jar or a cup. And there you go. It seems to be we've got, after each talk, a conversation and a debate around various different food items. Maybe that's... <laughs> we've cleared up the biscuit debate. Now we've cleared up pick and mix. The real nutrition advice is really coming now. All this two hours worth of stuff about mindfulness and weight loss and habit change was was great, but people came for the pick and mix, and that's what they got. So that's what I'm here It's the pick and mix. Cool. So uh, we've got about four minutes left before Mr. Alderton comes and gives us some knowledge bombs on various different things. So um, these guys have planned to give up an hour of their time to come and talk to you about this. It's now been two. So I think that everybody should give you a massive amount of love. I think I would go and dive into the comments you four. And there's been a lot of great comments coming in about the usefulness of the talk or great tips that people have had. So go and bathe in some of the comment glory that is there waiting for you. So I'm sure everybody watching this will appreciate all of your time, all of the information that you've been giving. If we haven't been able to get to your question in the allocated time, I am sorry. We will try and get to those questions in the Q&A sessions in between. So if you feel like you've still got a burning question on the tip of your tongue that we could help you with, then drop it into the chat and we will do our best to get it answered for you. And of course, make sure you follow these guys all over Instagram, do all of that sort of good stuff, show them some love, show them some support, and uh, then we can, you know, 
make these guys feel nicely loved. So thank you very much, team. I'm trying to get rid of this comment. I don't know where it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. That's what I was trying to do. Um, so thank you very much, guys. And um, you come back later on throughout the course of the next day and a half, I suppose. So thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you later. Thanks, Cheers, Simon. Guys. Cool. So we've got about three minutes left before uh, Jamie comes to join us. And Jamie's talk is going to be around about is something for the trainers, something for people who are trying to build an online business. But there's still going to be some great content in there for you. Maybe if you're someone who is just trying to build any form of online business, maybe with coronavirus coming around is that you've had to do more online. A lot of the tips that Jamie will bring and Jamie will provide are going to be applicable for many different industries. Obviously, he's going to give it a bit of a little bit of a slant towards um, fitness in this particular context. There's going to be lots of crossovers and lots of parallels. So um, hopefully you're all um, enjoying the little event here. We've got Jamie. He's just lined up. So we're going to bring Jamie in right now.